Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences happening in Europe. Specifically, the NDC Mini Conference, February 22nd through the 24th in Copenhagen, Denmark. Our friends Dominic Beyer, Rob Connery, Scott Allen, and Michelle Bustamante will be there. As well as Mark Seaman, Evelita Gabasova, and Eric Vullum. They've got workshops on ASP.NET Core, microservices, identity server, machine learning, and Angular 2. So go to cph.ndcmini.com and register now. And for more great NDC conferences, go to ndcconferences.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1396, with guest Christian Heilman. Recorded Thursday, December 8th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here for another hour of .NET goodness. And uh, Chris Heilman is going to be here in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking to him about making a web app progressive. But until then, Richard, what's up with you? We hit our winter part of winter. It actually, the, you know, the polar air flows have come down and it's, you know, in the big negative numbers. But at least it's blue skies and sunny, but it's bloody cold. I had the annual ritual of bringing all my wood in, you know, from the fire pit. Right. You know, I don't have piles and piles of wood. I just get it a little bit at a time. So, um, but, you know, it's when we bring in the chairs and bring in the wood and all Shutting that. down the deck, right? Yeah, shutting yeah. down the deck, you know. That's an admission that it's winter. I do a lot of, in the wintertime, uh, YouTube trawling. And I came across this very cool, very funny performance that I'm going to talk about for Better No Framework. So, roll that crazy music. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? So I can't remember where I saw this. It might have been one of the guys in the in the Slack channel on AppV Next, but this is Matt Parker doing a comedy routine about spreadsheets from a festival called the Festival of Spoken Nerd. Full frontal nerdity. I love it. A festival of the spoken nerd. Yeah, this is at uh, 1396.pwop.me, and it's a stand-up comedy act about spreadsheets. <laughs> and the cool thing is, is the guy sucks you in, right? He says, I'm going to do the funniest, the best bit ever about spreadsheets. And everybody groans, you know? <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. You got to see this. You got to understand this. Look at this spreadsheet. And you can see that I've got all these cells that have different colors in them. And I actually have the number of the color in the cell. And I wrote some stuff to do this. Isn't that awesome? Everybody groans. And he goes, yeah, but wait, you see that these colors are clusters of red and green and blue. And those make up pixels. And, a, you know, a pixel is just a combination of red, green, and blue values. So, if you zoom out a little bit and they zoom out and you can sort of make out an eye, you can see that we're sort of seeing a a photograph here of some kind. You, you zoom out a little more and you can see more detail. And I'm here to tell you that your phone, when you look at something on your phone or a computer or a monitor, you're basically just seeing pixels. And he actually gets somebody to hand them their phone. And he zooms in on a picture and actually shows the individual pixels that are combinations of bars of red with a blue and a green, you know, stacked on top of each other. And he zooms in with a microscope to see that you can see the pixels. 
and it looks just like his. <laughs> his his piece de resistance as he ends with zooms all the way out. It's a picture of me looking at a picture of this spreadsheet. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. But that's uh, interesting. It is interesting, and I didn't I didn't know what pixels looked like under a microscope, and he basically duplicated that exact process with uh, with a spreadsheet. Awesome. Yep. So something fun to show the family at dinner. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a show 1381, which we did back in November of 2016 um, with Kurepa. And we were talking about progressive web apps and generated a ton of comments. Yes, it did. Uh, and this is a comment from an an anonymous. <laughs> hey, A.N., how you doing? <laughs> Very clever name. Uh, but he does ask a great question, and uh, that is, I have a question. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. One, does monetization of an app change significantly when it is a progressive web app obtained outside of the app store? Hmm. And two, for an app built only for corporate or institutional settings, an intra-app, so to speak, hmm. are the rules for not losing users different due to too many clicks on the install or they don't apply the same way as a generic app. Is a PWA actually going to be as good as an app built as a native app, whether it's built in Xamarin, NativeScript, Reactive, and so forth? And you know who jumped in to answer this question? Let me guess. Chris Love. Uh, <laughs> Are you shocked? I don't think you're shocked. Yeah. Because Chris Love is a huge PWA fan because it's native, right? right. He's the native JavaScript guy. He's all about vanilla JS. Uh, and I totally agree with Chris's answers. But let me paraphrase from them. As far as the monetization concern, yeah, as soon as you get out of the App Store, you don't have to pay the App Store anymore. So you get to charge the way you want to charge. The downside, of course, is because you're not in the App Store, you don't get the lead generation from the App Store. But let's talk about lead generation here. Mm. Uh, and you also don't have the transactional mechanism. So now you're responsible for the transactional mechanism, but you get to keep more of your money. Uh, and on the other side, absolutely, when you're dealing with internal apps, uh, certainly you have more control over your users because they pretty much have to use the app. But that doesn't mean making a sucky app's a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're talking about straight up productivity uh, that impacts the company. So a quality app makes a difference. And I think it's one of the interesting things about a PWA is that survivability when it's disconnected and, and these other features that just make it more app-like right. rather than web-like. Because an awful lot of internal apps are built on the web because it is painless to deploy and, you know, quote unquote, good enough for internal workers. Yeah. Um, Chris goes into way more detail. So I hopefully you would go and read this comment off of the show. Because uh, it's it's very you know deep and thoughtful. Uh, in fact, the uh, A N responded to Chris saying, "Wow, what an awesome answer!" Because yeah, it was an awesome answer. Yep. Uh, so A N, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks .com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google Plus. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin, and he's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We sort them by color and make photos of ourselves with them. Nice. Yeah, I've seen you do it. All right, let's bring on our guest today. Chris Heilman has dedicated a lot of his time making the web better. How many of us can say the same? Originally coming from a radio journalism background, he built his first website from scratch around 1997 and spent the following years working on lots of large international websites. He then spent a few years in Yahoo, building products and explaining and training people. 
including Yahoo Answers, Search, Local, and Maps. He then worked at Mozilla, moving HTML5 support forward and advocating Firefox OS as an open alternative to closed mobile systems. Chris wrote two and contributed to eight books on web development and wrote many articles and hundreds of blog posts for Ajaxian, Smashing Magazine, Yahoo, Mozilla, Script Junkie, and many more. He also wrote the Developer Evangelism Handbook in use in many companies to coach evangelists. He's currently working with the Microsoft Edge team as a program manager for developer outreach. Welcome, Chris. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm not bad. I'm actually in a hotel room where my boss, who's currently in London, is visiting me. So in between doing the tourist guide of London, I'm now recording this podcast because I just came back from another trip in Germany. It was another conference. So oh, wow. I'm not at home. I'm in some strange hotel room, which is kind of bizarre. But I still brought my extra microphone, so it looks professional. I was going to awesome. say, it's a very nice sounding <laughs> hotel room that you have there. <laughs> well, anyway, before we talk about the, the comment that kicked us off here, can we recap sort of for those who didn't hear that last episode or might not know what uh, a progressive web app is? Sure. Uh, a progressive web app is, uh, is, is, is kind of a problematic thing at the moment because it's a set of technologies that make a web app that we have uh, – that we think about when we talk about an app, much more uh, the functionality of a website, but with the benefits of an app. So instead of having the normal model of like going to a marketplace, downloading, installing an app, well, first of all, going to a marketplace, entering your data, giving yeah. a pint of blood, giving yes, the, your exactly. firstborn to somebody, uh, putting your credit card data in, downloading the thing, installing the thing, realizing your phone doesn't have enough data anymore <laughs> left, uh, having a half-broken <laughs> download. You know where I'm going with this. Sure. The problem that I, uh, the problem that we had with the app model on the web was that it was not meant for the web. On the web, we use content on demand. We go to something with a URL or we click on a link and we go there and expect this content to be there. We don't want to be redirected to another place where we get the application that we have to install. So instead of using the web, a lot of web apps or like apps on mobile phones, native apps, locked us into an environment that is not the web. And some of them even went further and put a browser inside them to put the web inside this application again. Right. All of this costing RAM, costing time, costing information and uh, being hard to maintain. Yeah, but there's more eyes on our logo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my favorite is when you have a website that has the content already in it, and then you get the pop-up, please download this 30 meg of application instead, because you obviously don't want to read the thing you just loaded. Right. <laughs> this, this is the very fascinating part about it. So uh, Progressive Web is a set of technologies and a set of ideas that allows us to break this main problem that applications have, which is that onboarding experience. You, mm. uh, you have an application that you just install by following a link, and by looking at it, you already install installed it to a degree so the first time you get like a f offline functionality you get a nice experience the thing loads fast it gives you the thing that you came for the second time you go to the same url it tells you for example hey i'm available offline right now so you don't need to load me from the web next time which right. is very important yeah. on mobile well, devices when people have for example a certain data plan that allows them a certain amount of data per month or it gets really expensive to load data when you're on roaming and the third time you go through it it would say like hey do you want 
about me on your uh, on your uh, on your home screen as an icon, so you can just click me next time. You don't you never have to type in the URL again. The big selling point of native applications at the beginning was that is uh, that it's very annoying to type in URLs on a mobile device. Yeah, that's why we started with like marketplaces and started with that login. Now two years to three years later, and I'm kind of smug about this because I predicted it. <laughs> that whole market is falling apart on itself. People yeah. don't want to go through a login process. People don't want to have an application that updates all the time, although you haven't used it in months. And yeah. people especially don't want every application to tell them to please, please use them and with notifications and new features that nobody wanted to have. Right. There's a uh, There was a lock-in in terms of like, instead of using the web and just using your mobile phone, you had like all these apps, like very, very annoying Tamagotchi telling you all the time to please use them instead. Right. And with progressive web apps, we can turn a web presence that we have right now based on HTML, CSS, and JavaScript into an app-like experience. And there's a certain set of technologies for that. One of them is a manifest file. With this one, I have to define that this is not only a web page but also an, a web app so i define the name a short name the icons i ask for the permissions that it needs and i also say like if it should go full screen or if it should be windowed or if it should be uh, um, landscape or portrait hmm. i also can define colors in there that actually makes the rest of the environment look like it's loading and i got a splash screen loading when it's actually taking too long to load yeah. a great app should never show that splash screen so so that's something to think about yeah, yeah. the second technology stack that was the big breakthrough is called a service worker. A service worker is, in essence, a new way of web worker. So it's a different threaded model of the uh, of internet access. So the first time I go to a page, the service worker starts running. And what a service worker allows me to do is have notifications, have offline functionality, and have syncing functionality. So I can load data in the background without me having to actually uh, wait un until I can use my application. I can use the application and load the content in the background, much like we always got promised by Android that there will be atomic updates of apps in uh, in progressive web apps. is very simple because they already are are atomic. So every every single part is something different. Like on a website, I don't have to load the whole website. I see it bit by bit what's coming in. Mm. So we have the benefits of the uh, of the web with its simple way of accessing something and we got the benefits of the app model of like not having to type in URLs all the time, not following links but having a nice interface it's just written with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and the end user, end user does not need to know that. Right. So we're taking all the things that are breaking the app model right now, the onboarding experience, the annoying experience of having to be on one marketplace and on another device on another marketplace because progressive web apps are web-based so they run on all devices and we we bring it to end users it's a very very simple way to 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 end that fight between native applications and web and actually realize that the web is an amazing distribution model even for apps yeah so a lot of this has to do with how you access it on the device itself right as you said there's a manifest that provides an icon so essentially you're installing an icon on the Android or iPhone or whatever phone right in the midst of all of the other apps? 
you can. You don't have to. I mean, uh, originally, it's uh, uh, some applications uh, on iOS, for example, you get asked to do it on Android as well. You uh, you have a granular. That's the progressive part of it. The okay. uh, the progressive part uh, of of web uh, of progressive web apps means it's a website that goes offline for you, that allows you to do notifications, that allows you to do uh, to upgrade itself without having to 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 hit the reload button all the time, like we had to do with normal web apps or mm. Apps that were in the browser, Got but uh, if you want the convenience model of having the icon on your desktop, uh, on on your home screen, then you can have that. What we want in the progressive web app idea is that uh, the web app, uh, the progressive web app, should be that good that it actually warrants to have this icon on the on the home screen, yeah. not just randomly installing it for the end user, but realizing that the end user. Uh, visited a few times, like that application enough to give it space on the home screen to get to it. Right. So you can install it the first time, but you don't have to, and that's the great thing about it. The amazing thing is by the time you actually loaded it the first time, you already have it installed, much like you have a website already on your hard drive by mm-hmm. the time you look at it. And you don't go through the extra uh, download process and through the extra upgrade process all the time. That's the big change that we're proposing there. Of course, because it's a website. And a mobile website is can can have all of the same great features that an app has, especially if you use things like SignalR, you know, for real time updates and that kind of thing. So you, so essentially, you have state. Yeah, the, the the problem that we had is that the functionality, a lot of the functionality that native applications had on mobile devices, especially on iOS and Android, were not allowed by JavaScript to access because of the security problems that JavaScript in the wild in a browser has. Yeah, That's why uh, we have a manifest file that tells the browser or tells the web view that this is an application and grants it more permissions. Right. It also is then uh, also in a sandbox rather than in the overall interface of the browser. So other tabs or other windows cannot access your application it will be contained in itself and one big thing about uh, rolling out your first progressive web app is that you have to have a secure uh, a secure resource so it has to be an https enabled server to run it from you cannot install or uh, access normal PWAs from an HTTP resource because then you would have all kind of man-in-the-middle attack opportunities and all kind of listening attacks from malware that right. we don't want to have. Interesting. So, I mean, it strikes me that, and I, I mean, I've mostly been reading documents from Google around PWAs, so they feel like they're driving it, although the Mozilla folks have a few good ones, that we're trying to just pick up these good practices for building these apps like the source code has to come from a secure source yeah and it has to be it has to have its own navigation we cannot we can't expect people to use the back button on the screen the whole time it has to be uh, the right uh, the right format for the right interface like you shouldn't just uh, ha- take a normal like i don't know sharepoint web app right now and mm-hmm. turn it into a pwa and then have little drop downs that are interconnected with each other and take ages to load this is not a good experience <laughs> yeah. it's a touch it's a touch environment most pwas they can work in every environment especially when you think about windows that they would run on hololens they would run on a surface hub they would run on desktop they would run on mobile but right. uh, in the in the end Android way and in the iOS way, it's most important that we actually bring the mobile uh, factor to the forefront in our applications because this is what most users currently are using. I mean, the uh, 
mobile browsing on the web has overtaken desktop browsing in the last month, mm -hmm. according to the latest numbers. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the newer markets that are coming on, like uh, the upcoming markets like India, Africa, Bangladesh, these places have mobile first because they just have no they have no connectivity in the ground. There's no copper cables. There's no mm. uh, no fiber optics, but there's lots of mobile masts in these countries. And they yeah. probably never will. I mean, they're just skipping no. over that arc that infrastructure. There's no reason to pull that wire. Yeah. And there's no space in flats where people live for for computers or desktops and laptops do take a, a long space away. I'm not saying that everything will be mobile. There's a lot of people who overshoot the mark when we talk about this and say, like, oh, everybody will use smartphones for everything. Sure. I'm a writer. I love I love using my laptop for writing. And there will sure. be lots of offices with people typing things in because uh, when you have an office with 300 people all using voice recognition, that's not going to be fun. That gets old. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But for your applications, if you want to roll it out to people, that thing should work on the fly. That, that thing should work on the go. And that's why it's very important to have an interface that's simple. And most important, you have to work offline. And this right. is something that before Service Worker and the other technologies, we could not reliably do on the web because most of these te the technologies that we had, like local storage or index DB and app cache, were kind of flawed because we had to invent them fast enough and roll them out quickly. With Service Worker, I have for the first time full control over the caching of what is cached on the web. So I can name my caches, I can purge the caches, I can update them, hmm. I can reliably say what's in them, whereas on a browser cache, I never knew what's in there. I just hope that this image didn't need to load again. But when the hard drive ran out of space, it just started randomly deleting pictures, but I didn't know which. Yeah. So with a service worker environment, I know where my information comes from and I have control over what comes from the mobile device and what comes from the web. And nice. the, the rule of thumb is like the more you can bring people from their own device, the better your experience will be because we have we have computers that are really powerful with quite a lot of storage in our pockets, but the connectivity on mobile phones is always flaky. Yeah, and, uh, right. even even wireless does not uh, does not really work all the time. Nope. Uh, when you have a, when you have like one of those captive wirelesses in hotels where you have to log in onto something or you, port you, filtered you, you, or something, right? Yep. Your app tries to pull the whole time. Yeah. And the main the main thing to understand as well is that online connectivity in a mobile environment is never a binary state. It's always fluctuating. Yes. I go around a corner and it's actually less fast than it was before. Mm. I get into a tunnel. I have no connectivity. So your application should be very responsive to changes in the networking connectivity. And this is where something like a service worker gives us granular control, whereas before that we had either binary yes or no. You know, I remember, and I think it's an apocryphal quote. It might be Esther Dyson, but I don't think it's actually true that says it's easier to put internet everywhere than to actually build a good offline client. Hmm. Well, that's kind of, uh, I mean, geography is kind of in our way there, isn't there? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always think about when it comes to bringing connectivity to the world. I remember those those people that, that put the first telephone wire from the East Coast to the West Coast of America yes. and the hardship that mm -hmm. they had to endure. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the same. There's interesting systems the out there. I mean, the destruction they left in their wake. <laughs> yeah. Google Loon or like the satellite stuff that Facebook wants to do and now... Um, Elon uh, Musk. SpaceX. 
SpaceX yeah. also put satellites up. Right. But what I find really interesting is uh, this brick thing from Ushahidi. This, uh, is, this is an African company that have a solar-powered uh, wireless station that is basically in a metal brick that you can run over with a truck and the thing would still run. So that's like hard, hardcore connectivity based on satellite access with solar-powered uh, right. uh, self-contained systems. Yeah. And that's pretty nice. I, I, I like that challenge. I mean, we we complain when, uh, when we go down less than five megabyte per second or something yeah, like that. Sure. But then you, <laughs> First then you go problems. outside the countryside and you realize like, oh my God, that's why I love Christmas. Every time I see my family <laughs> during the holidays, I realize just how bad connectivity in the yes. countryside can be. Right. Chris, so if you think about this, um, Cordova was a great way and PhoneGap before that was and still is a great way to get your content, that's HTML, JavaScript, CSS into an app and installed. So, what I'm saying is, instead of, I mean, essentially, this is what we're doing. We're still building a mobile web app, except that we don't go through this extra step of going through an app store and installing. I have that right, right? Kind of. Uh, Cordova was based on PhoneGap, and it, it's in the name that it was, was supposed to be sure. a stopgap solution. Right. PhoneGap we invented because uh, uh, because the, the, the built-in browsers in iOS and Android didn't give us the functionality that we expected to sure, have. Yeah, and yeah. also the security model didn't allow us to have this functionality. To and in particular, I'm thinking of the container that the yeah. web app whole is, is held in, the native shim container which is sort of what a progressive web app runs in as well, except it's dynamic. And that that's what I'm getting at here, right? Again, to a degree, yes. Uh, I think the, the having a container like this brought us back to the square one when it comes to like upgrading and updating and yeah. having to load it. And uh, it was like two meg out of the box before even having any content in there. Right. Whereas a PWA on the first load could be a few bytes before the service worker kicks in and pulls in the rest of the content. Right, because the container is already there, essentially. Yeah, what we did with Cordova, did Cortana is the runtime of the browser, really. Right. Uh, with with Cortana, uh, uh, with Cortana, with <laughs> uh, with PhoneGap and Cordova, what we did to a degree is try to play in the mar in the closed marketplaces, native marketplaces with web technology, and that way, in a one on in a in a in a face to face comparison, the web apps that were built with with Cordova always looked a bit. Uh, um, behind they didn't have the whole functionality sure. they didn't have the really cool features that like force type or these kind of things on ios because they're not available on the web and web standards take time and it's kind of hard right. to predict what apple's going to bring out next yeah so arguably the progressive web app is the gap that the filler for the gap the phone gap was trying to fill Yes, PhoneGap becomes uh, be, became more or less obsolete because browsers got better and web views got better. Yeah. Right. So the functionality is already in the operating system got it. and available from JavaScript nowadays. All right, so you answered my question. I was thinking that there was a separate container a la Cordova or PhoneGap that your progressive web app ran into. But you're saying, no, it's just built into the browser and the operating system is smart enough to allow you to, to uh, have this capability without this without this exactly. extra executable container. So so that leads me into my second question, which is, if this is possible, then how are the App Store companies liking this? I mean, it seems like they gave up control of, uh, of not only filtering everybody through their App Store, but also give up control of what gets allowed to run and what doesn't. 
Well, it's much like Encarta, like Wikipedia. There is uh, there is evolution happening around us. Sure. When you look at the numbers of the native app stores, they lost users a long time ago. Like uh, there was uh, another, uh, I gave a talk about this with a few interesting numbers that like 60% of the apps in the Android market have never been downloaded. That's yeah. crazy. That's a lot of code that has never been actually touched by people because they couldn't find it. Did you right. find the first few that are on the front page of the marketplace or the ones that you got randomly through with a, with a URL and then went through the whole process? The other users are being lost by it. Of course, marketplace providers would love to keep control and especially keep getting the money from app providers. Yeah. But what Progressive Web has showed us that is that the distribution model of the web is already there. And uh, the the kind of like marketplaces sold themselves to end users or to developers by saying like we control the quality and make it much better what's there and we also control uh, uh, control the users you will get much more users if you come through our marketplace mm -hmm. but from the very beginning it didn't scale it's like any folder with lots of files in it becomes unreadable sooner or later and even the quality control has gone down a lot because the uh, the marketplace providers themselves had to show up that there's more and more numbers of bar of apps in there when I worked for Firefox OS, that was the big thing that killed Firefox OS. Every time I showed somebody the thing, how many apps do you have? And we're like, yeah, a few hundred. Well, yeah. why should I bother then? I want to <laughs> have a marketplace with a million apps. Otherwise, it's probably nothing good in there. And I'm like, do you go to the supermarket and look at like 500 different types of cheeses? Yeah. Or do you yeah. go in there with the five that are making, making sense? A million apps is a disaster. I mean, yep. it's yep. Just, you can't find anything. How many fart apps do you need? <laughs> well, even better, try to look for Microsoft Excel on iOS. All you find yeah. is a 30 megabyte download that says Excel something, and it's actually Excel templates that don't do anything without Excel being installed either. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of scams, there's a lot of malware, there's a lot of fake things in those environments as well because these marketplaces had to show constant growth as well. Now, yeah. on the web, we have constant growth without knowing it, and that's why this distribution model is much more uh, easier on everybody. Of course, the the, uh, the simple way of like getting money by sharing with a market, uh, market provider is going away, but at the same time, you're fully in control with the distribution of your application. And it's much like, um, much like SEO became a thing on the web. Uh, we had the marketplaces being controlled with fake reviews and fake stars as well. Yes. So now we're actually having this, we're back to the web where this competition has been going on for quite a while. And where by linking to somebody else, it's a very important thing. What I find really interesting is that with a progressive web app, I can actually send a link to somebody in a messenger client and they can, they can look at the thing and it's installed by the time they looked at it. And if you look at the numbers, what people are using messaging, is and social has overtaken the web and native applications a long time ago. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Richard. Sure. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to announce our new initiative against fake jokes. Hmm? Fake jokes are jokes that you think are going to be funny, but once they've been delivered, they're, uh, <laughs> they're not funny. <laughs> they're just, you're like WTF. <laughs> Oh, I've met a few jokes like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Run As Radio mug to oh one my. lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Run As Radio, of course, a weekly podcast done by Richard Campbell for IT professionals working with Microsoft products. And each 30-minute episode covers a specific topic in the field of IT from a Microsoft-centric viewpoint. Check it out at runasradio.com. 
And Richard, tell us what you've been doing with Run As Radio lately. Well, this sh- episode's publishing on January 4th, mm-hmm. which is a Wednesday, which is the same day that we publish Run As Radio. In fact, we've published every single Wednesday since April of 2007. Yeah. Uh, and so today's show, if you flip over to runasradio.com, is a conversation I had with Paul Therod talking about IT in 2017. So for the first show of the year... Let's have a conversation just about what do we think is going to be a big deal. And this is covering a lot of surface area. Certainly, Server 2016, the movement towards containers, the DevOps movement, yeah. software-defined networking, the general push to the cloud as a whole, and just the impact it's having on IT. It's a really broad topic, but you know, Paul thinks about this stuff every day like I do. So yeah. we had a great time chatting about it. Well, that's great. And I would encourage everybody to listen to run as radio it's just a fantastic show and it always has been and we're giving away a mug yes i make 11 different colors of run as radio mug, or rather <laughs> cafe press does but yeah. uh i just thought it was a fun aspect of it because we use that metro template on the website so right. we take advantage of that color and so you can't just get one mug you need a bunch so yeah. yes we'll be giving away a mug and who's our winner Today's winner, Richard, is Harold Hotham. Oh, congratulations, Harold. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Harold. You just won a coveted Run As Radio coffee mug. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. And, uh, of course, last month we gave away another $5,000 shopping spree to one Brian Wilson in Ohio. He's got a garden center down there, and he was very, very, very happy about it. Awesome. We also like to ask our guest, Christian, if you had $5,000 U.S. to spend on technology today, what do you think you'd buy? I think I would do something special with that. I mean, because I, I have a lot of computers already, and my yep. flat is too small to have more of them in there. Um, mm. I think I would uh, spend it on something like Raspberry Pis or something uh, yeah. small computers that I could use and then go to schools, go to uh, go to uh, meetups, and actually teach people about programming and get them from give them a future in IT by by getting the fear of like, oh my God, how expensive is it to get hardware to somebody showing like, look, we have this thing and you can build something with it and you can be a developer without having to worry about it. That I just been so at awesome. Internet Days in Sweden and they gave out little robots with Raspberry Pis and them to kids and seeing the kids doing like little papercraft robots and making the eyes blink differently by putting different uh, cables together was a really, really nice thing to see. And I think sharing the wealth makes more sense than having yet another machine that just makes me go online and tell people stuff. I think we it's time now to share the information and the privilege that we have in IT with the people that don't have it yet. I think yeah, I that's totally so agree. great. So great, Chris. And, you know, you're not the first one to say that they are going to buy Raspberry Pis for school kids. And I think that is such a noble thing to do. Um, yeah, I wish I had the time to do it myself, If I and I would. And maybe I will when I retire. <laughs> and the fame and rockstar life of, of .NET Rocks is, is, is passed for you and you <laughs> don't want to stay in hotel rooms all uh, what, the time anymore. What yeah, day is it now? <laughs> yeah. Where am I? Why is, yeah. why is room service not coming? Oh, right. wait, it's my own flat. <laughs> How come nobody calls anymore? <laughs> 
But five thousand bucks—that's like a hundred and fifty, hundred and eighty Raspberry Pis. Yeah, that's classroom worth loads worth. So awesome. Well, I mean, even better if you come and say like, okay, I got $5,000 and a Raspberry Pis and you go to a local government or a local school and you say like, hey, can somebody match that with another sponsor? You can yeah. even make it better. Yeah. Like and, and, and throwing a number like that around is really powerful at times. Yeah, I sure. do this at events right now because when, uh, when I normally travel, I travel for work and I get asked to, okay, how much money do you want for giving a talk? And uh, I normally, I don't want to kill people who basically charge for a living as well because they, they live for speaking a conferences yeah so i don't want to kill the market for them so what i normally do is like i ask people to exchange my uh, uh, speaker's fee into tickets for people that cannot normally afford going to these conferences that's a great to idea reach awesome. out to uh, to like uh, make a scholarship ticket available for the conference that way and it's sometimes very interesting the people you meet that way I totally agree. You know, getting off the beaten path of the, you know, usual Western culture conference going into places like the Middle East and more developing nations uh, where tickets uh, prices are substantially lower. You meet some totally different kinds of people, like folks that are very excited to be involved in development. Like this is their opportunity of their lives yeah. to get engaged, understand the, the, the so what software can do for them and, and really change their countries. Yeah, it used to be like that as well. I think by now it's 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 ridiculous how many conferences are happening every week. Yes, so right. uh, there's there's kind of an uh, we are at the uh, almost there where it keels over and falls in on itself again. So I remember the first conference I went to, I had to beg my boss for like four months to actually get a ticket. That's why as a presenter, I always want to give the audience something to mm -hmm. go back with to impress their boss with to make sure it was worthwhile coming to the conference. Yeah, my absolutely. job is. A speaker is to get people inspired enough so they can tell others that they learned something from that event that is such a great idea yeah no awesome idea and, and just uh, just realizing we need to reach people other than the ones we normally reach like try to broaden yep. the horizon here yep i, I hate to jump back into work <laughs> but it, it occurred to me and i'm sitting on a desktop machine right now i have like 20 something copies of google chrome running and it's not because i have 20 windows of google chrome open this is progressive web apps in action isn't it this is all the the service workers running the background a lot of them are background syncs. A lot of them are the, the services. Yeah. Maybe service workers already, if you've been to several sites that use them already. A lot of them might also be things that are built on Electron, you know, right. like Slack and Visual Studio Code. So these are using the uh, the engine under the hood uh, that to run the, the web view inside that browser. So Electron is a packing mechanism to do to create native installs on OS X, on Windows, and on Linux from web technology. And all of these are running these different instances of Chrome at the moment. We're we're also working hard right now to get Electron to run with Chakra Core in the future. So on Windows machines, we would have the benefits of that optimized engine for this operating system, even inside applications that were built with Electron. Right. Uh, I. I suspect this has got something to do with the push notification engine, which I have the sneaking suspicion 2017 is going to be the year that we get sick of push notifications. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just tweeted about this I'm yesterday. I'm already sick it's of it. A new, it's a new pop-up. Right. It's, uh, it's sad because there's... Uh, 
push notifications are a wonderful way to keep people engaged and not having to get people up, uh, start the application, do a reload all the time. Yeah. But uh, the first people to which that will jump on that are the overly marketing-y people that want to tell you about amazing things that you didn't want to have. Yeah. The good thing about it, though, is like the, uh, the permissions model is that it's very easy to say, never show me that again. Yeah. Right. So you don't you don't even have to... Uh, have an ad, uh, a pop-up blocker or an ad blocker like people install. You ha- you're fully in control as the end user about that one. But uh, there is a whole thread on discussions about what is a good UX for a push notification. And this is where it's interesting that on Windows 10, for example, push notifications can be much richer than on some other platforms where you can do a hey you uh, there's a new there's a message from your friend so and so answer directly in the in the notification without even opening the application so that's right. a benefit for, for notification but yes there will be a lot of overuse of these notifications sadly enough because every time there's something to annoy people with people will use it <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> Well, and it's also interesting to watch. Like, you can't tell just looking at Task Manager, all those Google Chrome instances, which of these are service workers, which of these are actually browser instances, except by memory footprint. You know, the, and I see a service worker, I suspect when it's only 10 megs, that's got to be a service worker. When it's 400 megs, that's probably mm-hmm. a web page. Yeah. Yeah, there is a limit to how much data you can store. And there's, there's, we haven't quite sorted that out yet. There's a lot of work going into the, um, into the quota API. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sooner or later we would, sh- we should name them differently. So we know what is what. But yeah. in, on the other hand, this is, I mean, we're already talking about power users here. You know, we, nobody else is going to, we, we have to make that thing consume as few bytes as possible then people don't have to worry about it most people wouldn't know what a task manager is no i always like it when we talk about these things like it's normal things sure. and then i go to a diy store and i sat, stand next to two people that talk about different screws for the next 15 minutes yes. and i don't understand a single word yeah it's kind of the same thing <laughs> you know we always geek out into the details in essence our job is to make software that works fast and works well yeah and uh, if we have these insights then please use them but it's it's a good idea that the uh, that the service workers should also be named differently or there should be a way in the task manager to realize what is what. But recognizing that's appealing to the 1%, the techie people yeah. who want to look at that. The, mm. the rest, the, the average mortal is never going to look here. Yeah, but it's important for us to debug them and realize yeah, when the I thing agree. takes like 20 meg, although we, we only store two, two bytes, what happened? Yeah, I, I worry about malware through this vector, you know? Hmm. Yeah. So let's say I'm using a, a JavaScript framework like React or something re- to do uh, web apps already, and I'm you know I'm I'm doing the App Store thing and I'm going through that process, and I hear this and I think, oh well, here's a way to cut out you know a, a middleman and sort of streamline my de- deployment, obviously because it's just a website and you change the website and it's redeployed. How do I make that transition well react already has a few things uh, a few libraries and a few approaches that that point in that direction there's as most of these frameworks are open source people who are excited about pwas will have built things for you you mentioned cordova earlier cordova actually has a polyfill for service workers so that allows you to run uh, progressive web apps on ios as well because the ios uh, runtime doesn't support service worker yet Hmm. so these things will be possible for you to simply turn around 
the again this is where the progressive comes in with uh, it's not a new way of architecting your applications it's just an extra level on top of it the service worker level that allows you to make the same functionality available offline and available with background syncing that we didn't have before so you don't have to change much of your architecture of it if you already planned it properly. If your application is uh, is written with uh, with something like React and expects all the time to be online mm. and loads a lot of stuff in the background the whole time, then you have to put the service worker in between. Because what the service worker does, it, it intercepts uh, uh, access to the web. So basically you say, I load this image, and instead of going to the other server and loading the image, you go to the service worker first. The service worker checks like, hey, do I have this already? Oh, cool, I have it for you already. You don't even have to go online. So it's a a way to intercept every access to the internet and do something with it before you send it back to the browser. So it's a a programmable HTTP router, if you think about it, in code form. Okay. Neat. Yeah. So you can use any you can use any of the frameworks that you do right now, but sometimes consider maybe not using a framework because browsers have become good enough that you don't need that extra two megabyte overhead. Sure. There's a great talk by Alex Russell from Google at the um, at the Polymer Summit where he explains that um, the uh, execution of JavaScript, how long it takes for the for the machine to actually turn it into binary code on the fly mm. and actually execute it is really problematic on mobile because mobile might have fast processors and lots of chips in them, but they don't have any heat sinks. Yeah, as soon right. as a mobile phone goes 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 hot, the performance of the chips goes down ninety percent. So uh, there's there's a real uh, problematic thing there. Just saying, like we put just more processors in there does not make mobile phones faster. We have to find better and cleverer ways around these kind of things so uh, any line of javascript you don't need that you can get rid of get rid of it's more important what the end user gets than the developer convenience that we have right now and in terms of i was just thinking about it when you just said like uh, how i can cut out the middleman it reminds me of being a band i mean as a band (laughs) when you have a concert and afterwards you just sell your cds to the audience in the room Mm. you already they already consumed your music and know it's good so they want to take it with you and that's kind of what progressive web apps do you don't send them to a to a record store to buy the record that they just heard you buy it directly there and much much more users and much more people will do on the uh, on the fly buys like that than just next day remembering what the name of the band was and going to the record store and buying it there. Right, right. So uh, we were talking about making an existing web app progressive. Is that a feasible thing or is this really a greenfield exercise? No, it's absolutely possible. Almost mm-hmm. you can turn almost any website into a, into a progressive web app just by ex- uh, by accessing the extra functionality. Of course, it's a good opportunity to turn uh, to slim it down and to make it differently. You don't have to start uh, from scratch to build a uh, progressive web app. It's not a uh, it's a set of technologies. It's not a method- methodology that you have to strictly follow bit by bit. Sure. You can turn anything that exists already into something faster that works offline. And that even works for normal websites. Just putting a manifest there allows you to have an icon on the desktop that right. somebody will do. And on Windows 10, it's very interesting because... Uh, Progressive web apps will actually be full apps. They will be integrated in the rest of the app experience. You won't see a difference what is an app and what's a, what was installed via the progressive web app way hmm. because they all get the same functionality. Nice. And of course, the big thing is that as an app, uh, as a web application or, or a progressive web application has a web manifest, uh, Google and Bing 
can both uh, scan the web and search the web for these things. So sooner mm-hmm. or later, they will be flagged up in search results as applications that you can just incl- uh, install with one click. And how cool is that, that your app could be found by somebody just surfing the web? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's incredible. Which, is, again, gets us away from this whole app store thing. Maybe we'd be more discoverable just posting it out on the web with that manifest than we would be trying to stuff it in an app store. Well, we already do. I mean, like we, we, we I mean, by by putting it in an app store, we put it on a server that is behind the app store. We might right. as well put it on a server that we control, and we can update and make sure that that thing is secure. Yeah. And so, obviously, as after even before the manifest, I guess first and foremost, go HTTPS all the way. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's not an option. What comes after the manifest part? Do you start implementing service workers? Start to deal with that offline problem? Yes, that is one way of doing it. Of course, also thinking about the fallback mechanisms. Maybe you have not used local storage yet, or mm-hmm. you haven't used IndexedDB to store anything on the end user's computer. Now you actually have a chance to, it, it gives you that extra benefit of thinking about what can you do to make your application slimmer and, fu- and better and working offline already. So the manifest and the service worker is what brings the magic of the of the full progressive web application. The manifest itself already makes the thing installable and gives people an opportunity to find it as an icon on your desktop. And that's a JSON object that's very simple to do. There's even uh, there's even a, a website that my colleague built called Manifester, where you you give it a URL and it generates the manifest for you that you can copy and paste into a file and save or download as a binary and just put in your server and you're done. Wow. So that's that's the really cool thing about that. Of course, you have to link the manifest from your uh, from your document as well, but uh, that's a simple another H, another little element in the HTML itself. Yeah. So it's it's a very as the, the whole idea of progressive enhancement is that you take something that works and you make it better when new technology comes around that has more features and more capabilities. And this is exactly what's happening there as well. An old browser and an old operating system will not care what a manifest file is, but an Android device with the new Chrome on it will realize, hey, there's a manifest. Oh, cool. This is an app. I give it now access to this and that and allow people to install it. Right. This is what we're doing with this. We're we're, um, I think Alex Russell said it's like it's it's a website that has taken all its all the right vitamins to be good <laughs> enough to be installed. Nice. We should actually make our uh, our goal should be to make our web products good enough to be installable and become applications that people want to have, not something that they found randomly in an app store and installed and then didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't go to the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there, did you see there was a, um, a Trojan going around on Android with a few that stole a few million uh, certificates of people and identities of people, even login identities for Google. And that wow. was because they went through a third party store, not the official Google store. And uh, that was because in these countries, the official Google store didn't offer certain functionality in certain apps. Right. So people don't want to be locked in. And when you lock them in, then they look to uh, shady environments to get the things that they want. And that's how we get malware. And that's how we get Trojans. And that's how we get terrible things on our devices. Right. Sooner or later, people want to get the content that they saw other people have as well. And we should finally realize that, hey, by reaching people, we can make money with people and actually get something from them as well by locking them out and only catering to the elite in the Western world on the newest, coolest phones. We shouldn't be surprised if that is always a flash in the pan. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. This sounds amazing. I mean, uh, how do we get started with this stuff? 
Well, there is a um, if you if you want to go through it, there's a great uh, documentary. Google is uh, doing some great stuff right now, uh, documenting these things. I can send you the links later. I mean, nobody's going to type them in when we say them right now. Sure, it might be best if we just send a send a list there. There's uh, the interesting bit is there's not only the Chrome team and only the browser teams that start promoting those, but even the Google Webmaster blog, which is like where people go for the SEO information, explains now how to do indexable progressive web applications applications from your current websites and i got really excited about this because this is where people go that build websites that don't want to be on the bleeding edge but they realize it's actually quite easy to upgrade their current work to something that is installable that way so we're not only reaching out on the cool geeky channels but also on the channels where normal users that just have a website and want to see why google doesn't index it good enough we get this information right now (laughs) yeah that's awesome how symmetrical is the implementation between the different browsers i mean we've been talking about google a lot so obviously chrome you work with the edge team i'm sure the chakra engine's all over this do we worry about the rest? Like, is, is this going to be implemented uniformly? We do, but again, it is. that's where the progressive comes in. It's right. not a perfect situation because no browser should be the same browser. That would actually stifle innovation on the web. We need that kind of competition. Right. Uh, but there's a few uh, uh, there's a few annoying players that actually don't play along. And, uh, uh, and but <coughs> we want to make sure that, that, that progressive web apps are good enough to shame them into having to support it as well. Right. And we do that by, by making it available. And again, all of these features are possible uh, on the coolest, newest Android Chrome. But that's not only the new God one. This is actually ones that have been around for a few years. Uh, Edge is working on it. Mozilla is working on it. Uh, even uh, even WebKit uh, has shown interest in their mailing lists to actually support it. But of wow. course, there's no official message from Apple what's going to happen. There but never is. that they embraced JavaScript ES6 much more lightly than they embraced other technologies, I'm hopeful there as well. That's Although cool. it's hard to criticize them, seeing that they're the most successful company out there, but the success of the app market is not that. The numbers of the app market are dwindling, and we should realize by now that closed app stores are kind of a thing of the past, much yeah. like buying music on CDs is a thing of the past. Only yeah. on Christmas, when we want to put them into wrapping paper, we still see these again when it feel and it feels to me like apple's control in the in the space is really the ipad even the iphone you're seeing well i guess the iphone's got the same problem they all default to safari the average user won't install another browser that's you know we saw that in ie as well so we need safari to play ball well, ironically, it's going back to uh, that uh, uh, Safari, were the one, uh, well, Apple were the ones that started. I mean, Steve Jobs yeah. in 2007 said yep. like, hey, you've got all the technology you need with HTML5 to write great applications. You don't yes. need to do anything else. When he when he got away, this message started changing very quickly. And I think to a degree, it was a short-sighted view it's it's a short-sighted problem that people say like okay if you control this this is going to be much much better and most of the time this is not the case and after a while people don't want to get locked in any longer my bigger problem with it is actually that the web is in a sorry state and yes. I, I just gave a keynote about this at, uh, at the Internet Days in Sweden, where I pretended to be a, a psychologist that actually interviews an internet that's in his midlife crisis and is complaining <laughs> about things all the time. Because when I look at like the average website out there, the average news website, this is like 2.5 meg of random stuff that I, and I came for like 30k of text. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. we, 
we just put the web full of like, please subscribe to our newsletter. Please uh, do give us this information. That's the notifications that we talked about. This is a great opportunity now to slim down the web a bit as well, because it's impossible to connect on a web on a flake connection and read something on the verge on like business insider or something like that. When my fan goes off on my sick, on my uh, quad core machine with 16 gigabyte of RAM, just because I want to read a news article, then we have not given the uh, the web the, the 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 love it deserves. <laughs> the web was basically democratizing publications. Before that, you always had to have a publisher, you had to have an editor. You were basically you didn't have the right to publish anything. The web is given to the people to publish and to consume, and we're getting more and more into a world where we only consume. And we we haven't quite thought about the monetization model of the web right now. And yeah. this is where progressive web apps are interesting because uh, monetization in an app is much more um, is much more natural than monetization of a website. Yes. Like people don't want to monetize, uh, pay for a website, but at the same time they don't want to see ads and they don't want to have trackers on them. So we we use ad blockers, and then with more ad blockers, the ads become more arrogant and and more intrusive, mm-hmm. and then we have ad blocker blockers, and it becomes <laughs> an endless race that makes no sense. Yep. And, and you've got the wires of the world now popping up saying, we're not going to show you our content if you don't turn that ad blocker off. Right. Yeah. And then we fight the ad blocker finding ways around it. And even more interesting, there was an, um, I don't know what the extension was called. There was an extension that millions of people installed that was like, make the web fairer because we're actually getting trackers off your website. And we don't, we, we remove ads. And then they actually, in uh, these people sold the data from people using them to other people again in China and Russia and scammers and all kind of things. So <laughs> who watches the watch? Who watches the watchman in these right. things? Yeah, I want to have I want to have as an end user control. I'm happy to click ads that make sense. I don't I don't want to click an ad that spies on me and records me and sends data in the background who I might be. Right, right. So how is the adoption right now and where where is it and where is the support on the phone side and the browser side and when when is it going to get better give us a snapshot of that there's a there's a lot of good uh, uh, again Google has bring has brought out a lot of good demos and examples what people have been doing and uh, the the best adoption is of course on Android uh, and also in that it, uh, because the web view is green evergreen on Android now it's even on older Androids as mm. well very yeah. candid support it the big success stories are mostly the ones that come from countries like India and Africa there yeah. people realize that they got like four times the engagement like a a tenth of the data being used by getting the same thing and they find that people stay on these pages much or or inside these apps much much longer than they did before because they didn't have to wait for five minutes to use them the first time Um, of course some of these numbers are percentage so it's quite interesting when uh, there was one demo where they're like yeah and we even saw that on iOS we got 71% more people and I'm like okay so how how many was that and you're like well the group was 500 people we tested the app on and you're like okay that's like uh, two yeah. users instead of one that really yeah. is not a not a win situation but there are a lot of use cases where people showed their applications and tried them out and again if anything making your website rethinking your website and making it smaller 
can only be a gain for anybody out there. So the adoption is much more in the emerging countries and in countries with lower connectivity than in countries like America where, where rolling out your iOS is still the the first thing. And I find it always frustrating that I have a $600 phone on Android and I have to wait for six months to get the same app that other people get on an iPhone immediately, mostly because that was an interesting number that people say uh, for every uh, uh iOS users spend twice the amount of money as Android users do on uh, on average. So they're actually more affluent and they're more ha- more likely to do in-app payments and these kind of things. Right. But when you look at the numbers of Android devices worldwide, that is that is easily 2.5 times the amount of iOS devices. So you you uh, you make the same money if not more by supporting an environment that is not only one operating system. And the great thing about PWAs if you do them right, you support all the platforms which just means you find users that you didn't even know you had. Mm. Hmm. Awesome. Sounds great. Where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know how to do a manifest file? <laughs> do you know how to write a web page? Then you already probably signed up already. So the uh, that's the cool thing. I mean, like, even if it's... Uh, uh, I'm worried that we get too excited about it right now because every time, every few years we have a hype. We had, like, DHTML, then we had AJAX, then we had, like, uh, yeah, the, the packaged HTML apps, and now we got PWAs. Mm. So I hope that people realize that this is something that is a, a set of technologies to, to play with and to enhance what we're doing right now in a progressive fashion. This yeah. is not a new flash in the pan, cool new way to build something. Right. So even if the uh, if in a year's time or half year's time we don't talk about PWAs anymore, but the web has just become what PWAs wanted to do, I'd be happy with that. I think we need less buzzwords and more good code out there. Agreed. Sure. Christian, thank you very much for spending this hour with us. It's been fantastic. Thanks very much. No worries. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.